Today we continue our series on immigration, moving from biblical stories about immigrants to the issue of immigration we face in our country. We are going to continue to use the scriptures as our guide, but instead of stories, we're going to look at some of the direct statements on immigration and its related issues. First, let's look back at our takeaways from the first couple of weeks. We started with Adam and Eve, the first immigrants who were forced out of the Garden of Eden. And we saw how looking back at what you had, what you lost, isn't the goal. We look forward as God does a new thing and expands the possibilities of what could be for us. Last week, Pharaoh was chasing Israel to the Red Sea, and it looked like all the chosen people of God were going to die. Instead, God did the impossible, splitting the sea in half. These immigrants were miraculously rescued by God. We are called to do something similar. As the hands and feet of Christ, we make the impossible possible for others as we bend our lives and our resources to the will of God. Now we look at biblical statements regarding immigration, which to some may seem like they are in conflict with one another. Let's hear now the word of the Lord from the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, uh, Beth is going to read for us Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 22. Hear now God's word. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be left for the alien, the orphan, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your undertakings. When you beat your olive trees, do not strip what is left. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, do not glean what is left. It shall be left. For it shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this. And from Romans 13, verse 1, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And I invite you to join me in our prayer of preparation this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You know, English is a funny language. You might not realize this if you haven't learned a second language, but there are plenty of things that make English completely different from any other language on earth. Most languages have another one that's pretty close. You might be able to pick up a good portion of another language if you know its partner. If you speak Spanish, you can understand Portuguese. If you know Norwegian, you can probably understand Scandinavian. English, on the other hand, is all on its own. It's just different. It actually started from German, but when these invaders landed in England, the people already there spoke Welsh and Irish and Breton. In time, things started changing. You know the phrase, eeny, meeny, miny, mo." Think about it. Where the heck is that from? What is that? It's counting in Irish. Hickory, dickory, dock, also counting. The mouse ran up the clock, eight, nine, and ten. 
languages were blending and changing each other. There was another wave of invaders, the Norse, who gave us more words. Here's an interesting one. Ever wonder where the word skipper comes from? Skip is Norse for ship. So a skipper is a shipper. Then came the French, and to add a little sophistication, Latin and Greek. These changes in some parts of the language, but not in others, uh, not only made English very different, it also made it really tough for non-native speakers to learn. Sometimes it seems like we have no rules for how our language works from one word to the next. Adding French made word endings funny. Add F-U-L to wonder, and you get wonderful. F-U-L is a German ending. But if you add I-T-Y to the end of a word, it changes. Modern becomes modernity. Personal becomes personality. French puts the emphasis in a different part of the word. So some words changed and others just didn't. It makes English its own thing. Today, if you compared Old Norse to modern Icelandic, it's almost identical. But modern English compared to Old English, well, it's like trying to read another language. There's something about language and its origins that I think can speak to us today. Languages, especially English, can feel like they just are. But really, there is a, a history that shaped and changed it to something almost completely unrecognizable from its origins. It reminds us that things change, that we change, and we don't always know why we say and do what we do. It just is, it seems like. And when it comes to immigration, we don't always know everything about that either. Uh, Blaise Pascal is one of my favorite philosophers. I've shared a couple of times in this church about Pascal's wager, where he asks, what are the consequences of believing or not believing in God? If you don't believe and God is real, you are putting everything at risk. If you do believe, though, and God is real, then you potentially gain everything. So Pascal says it makes more sense to believe in God rather than to not believe in God. He has another influential idea, far less popular, but it's the question of how to best change another person's mind. That seems pretty important to me in this day and age when everyone is convinced of their own views. It's also important in a time that is extremely polarized, where casual conversation can end in a fist fight if you aren't careful what topic you bring up at the dinner table. So Pascal says changing a person's mind begins by letting them know that they are right. We have to start by looking at things from the perspective of the one we are trying to convince. Admit that from their side of things, what they think is actually true. But you also share that there is another side from which you can see that it is false. It's not that the person is wrong in what they believe. It's just that they didn't see things from another side. When we look at the scriptures, you can actually see there are two sides to this issue. We aren't trying to prove one side or another here today. We want to see as many sides to the issue as we can. We'll start with our passage from Romans. 
This is a famous verse regarding following a government's authority and has been interpreted in different ways. Its main meaning to me seems to be that Christians, in general, need to submit themselves to the established governmental authority. If a government says, these are the rules, you follow those rules. Don't buck the system or weasel your way out of following the rules. Just do it. The problem is that sometimes governments do things that are outright wrong. Is Romans 13 saying we should still have Jim Crow laws, for instance, and that Martin Luther King Jr. was wrong in nonviolent protests? No, of course not. Governments can err, and some can be so wrong that supporting a change in government is good and right. But in general, Do what the government says. Be good citizens that build up the reputation of Christians and show respect and honor where it is due. In the United States, we have a law that says no one is allowed to enter this country unless they meet certain requirements. Now, some would say this is a bad law. Before the 1800s, there were essentially no immigration laws anywhere in the world The U.S. was the first in 1882 saying certain kinds of people could not enter our country. Criminals, lunatics, or anyone not able to take care of themselves. Later, restrictions would grow to include people from certain countries and people with certain jobs or skills. Most of the world has followed the example of the United States creating laws restricting immigration in one form or another. A few still don't, but for the most part, our basic laws are in line with other countries. One of the problems is the dramatic increase in immigrants. In the 80s, about a million people were immigrants, and half of them were coming to the United States. Today, the number of immigrants in the world is 258 million. And though it's grown significantly over the years, it's still just 3% of the world's population. But of that group, the U.S. now takes in a tiny fraction of refugees, outpaced by countries like Turkey, Uganda, and Pakistan. But as it stands, the law is the law. Romans would remind us to be good citizens, following the law, even if we may disagree with it. When it comes to how we treat these immigrants when they are here, that is an entirely different matter. Scripture is absolutely clear on how we treat people. Let me just read some of the verses. Deuteronomy 10, 19. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Leviticus 19:34. The aliens who reside or the alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 27, 19. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Job 29, 15. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I championed the cause of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous. Zechariah 7, 9, and 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the orphan, the alien, or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Romans twelve thirteen. 
extend hospitality to strangers. Just a cursory glance at these scriptures gives a pretty clear impression. No matter who someone is or where they come from, people who let the scriptures from the Bible speak into their lives treat others with honor and respect. A foreigner is not someone to be ridiculed. Aliens are not people we take advantage of. We provide justice for them. We love them like we love ourselves and the way that we love our own families. This is a radical command from Scripture to be different from how the rest of the world might treat outsiders. Those people out there might hate them. But you, you in here, you show them love. My wife, Emily, and I have been watching this show that's done in a similar style to the movie A Scanner Darkly in Rotoscope. Uh, the main actress is descended from Mexican and white parents and often is on the receiving end of Mexican stereotypes. She complains about this racism to her boyfriend, who is Indian, and he says, As someone who is often misidentified as Mexican, I tangentially feel your pain which I think is something that only boyfriends and spouses are allowed to say. But later it's revealed that when he was a little boy, his accent was a reason for other kids in school to bully him. We see him that night listening to someone speaking English on a tape, and he repeats it over and over, practicing his English so that he doesn't have any accent whatsoever. Now that's fine for someone to want to be able to speak without an accent, but to have bullies be the cause of it? Christians stand up to those kinds of people. We fight for justice. We fight for those without rights. We welcome strangers because God's love compels us to. So wherever you fall in terms of the immigration debate, I hope you'll see two sides to the, the discussion. One is that there's a law, and whether you like it or not, we are to be good citizens upholding the law, even if the government is not righteous. When you look at the Apostle Paul who wrote Romans, he was telling Christians to be good citizens in a country whose government brutally executed criminals, practiced slavery, and decimated entire people groups. Some say it was the most evil empire that has ever existed. Yet Paul says respect the government, live by its rules. So today, no matter how we might feel about the set of rules we have in our country, there are many people that are just not allowed to enter this country. That's the law. Live by it. Respect it. But don't forget, though, that one of the great rules we have in a democracy is that your voice matters. You can influence people and convince the government to change the rules. If you want the rules to be different, work for it. Advocate. Write your representatives. That's how we make an imperfect country and an imperfect government a little closer to the kingdom of God. The other side I hope you'll see is that God's love is not just for a select few. Even the earliest parts of the Jewish scripture say welcome foreigners and show them love. I think of the man who lived in the U.S. near the southern border 
I remember hearing how people that were crossing from Central America into the United States were literally dying in the desert from dehydration. This man took it upon himself to leave several gallons of water in his backyard so that when people passed through, they would have some water to drink. Eventually, he was arrested for it. Now, there may be much more to this story than that, but when love and law seem to be in conflict with one another, I think love wins. I think God's love for me and this world compels me to do what I can to save a person's life even if they are foreigners, even if they are breaking the law, entering our nation. Love says, stand with those who have nothing. Help them, honor them, love them, even if there are consequences for it. I think this ideal is encapsulated in a command we hear from Jesus. He said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We call it the golden rule, right? Well, I like that what some folks have called the platinum rule. Sometimes we have different preferences of how someone would treat us. I want uh, one thing and you want another. So instead of just thinking to yourself, what would I want them to do to me? Think, if I were that person, if I was in danger, if I lost my home, or if my country was ravaged by drugs or a natural disaster, how would I want others to treat me? That, my friends, is the platinum rule. Do unto others as they would want you to do to them. Just yesterday, I was at B'nai Israel, a Jewish congregation in Emerson, celebrating Selchat. Uh, this is the day of prayers for forgiveness before Rosh Hashanah. And we prayed rabbis and priests and pastors together for forgiveness, particularly around the issue of immigration. We learned that here in North Jersey, over 2,000 people are imprisoned for immigration issues. Many are held in county prisons, but several hundred are held at a for-profit prison by a company that made $6 billion in profits last year doing we heard how every day men and women are released from the prison after their papers are processed, but they are released without warning at 9 o'clock at night into the industrial section of Newark with nothing, no food, no water, no place to stay, no family that even knows that they are there. And we let this happen. We, as a society, are responsible for these people to make sure they receive justice to make sure they are not oppressed. And it is our job to love them. Do you see that? Let's end with a, a little action here this morning. Uh, I wonder about our history, who we are as people. Now, this might be a little awkward for you, but I invite you, we're going to do this uh, step by step, but I invite you, if you are an immigrant to this country, if you came from another country and have immigrated here to the United States, I invite you at this time to stand. So we have a few immigrants among us. If your parents were immigrants to this country, they were the ones who immigrated into the United States, I invite you to stand up at this time.
And if your great grand or your grandparents were immigrants into this country, I invite you to stand up at this time. Well, we got most of you on that one, huh? And if it were your great Am I on great-grandparents? Great-grandparents that immigrated to this country stand up at this time. And I'm, I'm included in this group. That's great-grandparents. That's me. How about your great-great-grandparents stand up at this time? And great-great-great-grandparents. And great-great-great-great-grandparents. Go ahead and sit. So all of us, every one of us, have immigrated into this country. We are not talking about others out there. We are talking about us. How do we want to treat one another? How will you care for your brother and sister next to you? How, do, how would you have liked people to treat your, uh, you, your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents when they came to this country? You may be seated. So I invite you to follow the law to advocate for better laws and to love those around you, not just the way you want to, but the way they want to. Because love isn't just golden, it's platinum. Amen? Amen. Amen.